Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Throughout our show, we'll bring on some experts, talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Heather McNair. I'm Alex Mastriani, and we're happy you're here. Welcome back to another episode of the Member Engagement Show. I am so excited today to be joined by three of my awesome colleagues and engagement experts here to talk about uh, the ASAE Marketing Membership and Communications Conference, ASAE MMC, from a couple weeks ago, uh, has a great partner of ASAE's Higher Logic had the pleasure of hosting community conversations. We did roundtables on one of the days where the attendees were able to come and join a roundtable to talk about any of their pressing issues, burning questions around community value and going beyond the typical engagement that they might be seeing in their communities, other organizations. So I thought it might be really fun to have some of our folks who participated come back and join the podcast to tell us what everyone was talking about. If you weren't able to make it or maybe if you were just hear what some of the other tables were talking about. So today joining us, I have Beth Errett. She's an association strategist, Sarah Maloney, team lead and community manager, and Connor Higgins, associate consultant and community manager, all from the HireLogic team. Hey, everybody. Hi, good to be back. So excited you all are here. Uh, before we dig into the meat of the conversation here, do you, I know some of you have been on the show before, but some new faces as well. Do you want to each go around and tell us a little bit about what you do at Higher Logic and just for fun, because we all love communities here, what's your favorite community that you are a part of? Um, Beth, why don't you kick us off? Uh, yeah. So for those who don't know me, um, I'm Beth Arrett. I am soci- an association strategist here. And that kind of means I sort of float around a little bit, work with different associations on um, engagement, on email marketing campaigns, um, on you know best practices and things like that. And my favorite community is always, always, always the hug communications product community. They rock. That's awesome. What For folks who might not know, what is hug? <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. That's the higher logic users group um, where all of our users join and are very active. Yes. I love hug too. Sarah, how about you? Yeah. So um, I am a part of a few Facebook groups about golden doodles. I will be getting my own this fall. So I am a very active lurker at this point in a couple of those. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you have a name picked out for your golden doodle yet? It is up for debate, potentially (laughs) Willie, maybe uh, Belle if it's a girl. We don't know yet. So (laughs) TBD. Love it. Can't wait to see pictures. I love golden doodles. I I think they're just like the cutest, cuddliest looking dogs. (laughs) They really are. (laughs) Connor, how about you? Um, I I thought I was going to be unique in saying there was a Facebook group <laughs> that I was uh, a part of, but uh, the the Parks and Rec uh, and the the Office have their like a joint community. It's like eighty one thousand no members to it, and uh, it's like weird, you know, conspiracy <laughs> theories, uh, fan fiction, all like all that kind of stuff. And and I just love how active they are. And I take like some sometimes their engagement, their questions are interesting to, to take and apply to, to other clients. So the, I, I, I love following them. That's cool. And what do you do here at higher logic? Uh, probably that, you know, that was the more important one. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, an associate consultant. Uh, I work with, uh, Annie O'Brien and her team, but I also work with, uh, elements of Sarah's team and, and Annie Moncure's team. 
uh, on uh, just I do like a lot of the monthly uh, coaching and, and moderation clients. Awesome. Well, so excited to hear what everyone was talking about. Uh, I think it was about a week and a half ago, we had this event and we had um, about 10 different tables that we were facilitating. And I'm sure there was a variety of topics that were brought up. But Beth, why don't you start and tell us maybe like the biggest topics that were brought up at your table? Um, So I think probably the biggest topics just kind of all ranged around engaging um, at different age groups and different um, levels in the their organization, their association's membership. Uh, And there was one that was really working to retain and engage members who had become more senior in their field. They had a lot of members who are joined when they're earlier in their career um, and they want to advance. They want to talk to those more senior members. But by the time the senior members get up there, they're, they're tired. They just want to go home and and sit and not have to think about work. Um, So, you know, trying to get those people into engage with the younger um, members in their profession um, is a little bit of a challenge for them. And then we had another one who, um, had a large group of students, um, thousands of students who were members, um, but they were lacking a mentor. So I, I guess it was kind of the same type of thing. They were lacking in the more senior mentors um, because there was like they had thousands of students, but less than 200 mentor mentee matches. Um, so they were looking to grow the mentor program, but it was kind of a similar issue where it's harder to engage those senior level people at the rate that the younger people want to engage. Yeah, it's funny when I was talking to you before we started recording about this topic, um, it seems like that's the perfect way to bring some of those senior to, I don't want to say kill two birds with one stone, but I don't know if these people are at the same organization when this topic was coming up, but that's like the perfect way to engage at multi-levels is a mentor program um, because you it's a huge benefit for younger members, um, people who want to join, but then also for those senior members who maybe. I don't want to say it could be a lighter lift for them. I think it probably depends on their profession, but it could be a great way for them to share all of their experience um, with younger folks or people who have just joined. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, part of joining an association to me has always meant giving back to the industry. And so it would seem to me, you know, you would think that mentorship would be a natural way to do that because it's not, like you said, it's not a heavy, heavy lift. Um, You know, it's not like there's a class and you're going to grade them. It's just, you know, talking to them about the, you know, about the um, industry that you're in, talking to them about what they need to do to improve and to grow and to reach the next level. And giving them your exa- an example of how you did that. It's not a hugely heavy lift. Um, I mean, I would be thrilled to hear, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would as well, um, any suggestions that um, any of the panel have actually for um, ways to bring people into a mentor program like that or get those senior level people more engaged because it does seem to be a little bit of a challenge for a lot of organizations. Those aren't the first two that I've talked to that have had that challenge. Yeah, that's something I hear come up a lot with clients. And when they launch their program, first off, we recommend finding mentors before you open the program. If you open the program and you open it to mentees and they go through very excited to find a mentor, but none have signed up yet, that's a very deflating experience. With getting mentors to be involved in the program, the biggest thing that I've seen is defining what that means for them. 
I've seen mentor programs where people request mentors, but they don't have any definition around how long they're expected to be a mentor or how much they expect to be contacted. I've also, um, from personal experience, when I was actually setting up kind of a a mentoring program in college for my marketing club, um, our alumni who volunteered to be mentors were pretty upset when they were put into a relationship and then the student who's the mentee never actually contacted them. So making sure that there is that accountability so that people want to participate in the future is really important. That's a really good point. Well, I know um, of an, uh, there was another organization that had, um, not at this table, but that I've known in the past, who um, had a lot of students who signed up for the mentorship program wanting to mentor other people as opposed to be the mentee. Or mentee word? Mentee word? I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that we had students who were signing up who wanted to mentor someone who were looking to mentor younger students um, and didn't realize that they were signing up to be the mentee, not the mentor, which I thought was interesting. And that gets into an interesting idea of mentoring. Like that person probably has a lot of knowledge in one area, but not all the areas. And so offering kind of micro mentoring opportunities like resume reviews or really small opportunities like that, that are are short, maybe a day, maybe an hour, gives a good opportunity for someone to show off their expertise in something small. Micro mentoring. I like that. That's a great idea. I had never heard that. And I think that all goes back to what you were saying about the expectations. You know, when you create programs like this, letting everyone know exactly what they are getting into or signing up for whether you know they're they're concerned about what the lift is on their end or the time that they need to put in but also just you know telling people you can give as much time or as little time as you have we'll take it it will it will mean something to somebody so that's really cool Sarah one of the things that you mentioned that was a, a big topic was around how difficult it can feel sometimes to share metrics, the right metrics, the frequency of the metrics, the how you display them, how you share them with leadership. What were people talking about when it came to reporting out on community performance? Yeah, so Connor can probably speak to this a little bit too because we were in the same room, luckily. Um, But how this came up is we had a couple community managers who were fairly new to their organizations. And one thing that they were struggling with is they were kind of handed this task of, of pulling metrics without any context, without any reason as to why it was done the way that it was. And so some people were pulling them as frequently as weekly without really any insight into Is anyone reading these? Why are we pulling these? What's the larger goal here? So that's kind of how this conversation started that we were having. And um, it was really interesting to hear all of the different expectations and the the different ways that people were presenting metrics to higher-ups. What we kind of talked about is the importance of making sure that there is a larger strategy in mind. So it it, it makes sense to pull logins if the goal is to get new people into the community. Maybe it's to um, see if non-members are signing up for accounts. Then that totally makes sense to track logins and new accounts. But if that's not something that matters to you this year, then those metrics become less important. I think that within the community industry, We always want to benchmark and we always want to generalize when a lot of times that's not the right path. So really starting with what your organization's goals are is important. And then building the strategies and the metrics off that 
is going to be the best way to go. That way, when you do have to present to your uh, leadership team on the success of the community, you can really define why you are presenting the metrics that you are in a very easy to digest way. And and honestly, I I think that a lot of people were finding difficulty to build the process, right? To go from data collection to, okay, now asking the very important question of so what? Right. So, you know, Sarah asked, uh, mentioned the, the the community manager who was pulling metrics every week, but they weren't doing anything with them. They were just pulling them to pull them and to check a box. But then they had no process in place for the. All right. What do we do with this information? And it's not enough to just pull information. What processes and what frameworks do you have in place to take action on that information? And that took up probably about. 60 to 70% of what we spoke about at our roundtable. And it was a very interesting discussion because you had the newer community managers who had no process. And then you had the, the one from the medical association who had been, you know, doing this for decades was like, Oh yeah, we have this, 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 and this in place. And it, it, it kind of provided a, a good um, idea of where you might want to get to as a community manager, especially on an association side. And I think when you come into an organization as a new community manager where they've already had a new had a community stood up, it's a unique opportunity to help redefine what you are going to track. Um, even if you've only been at a at your organization for a few weeks or a few months, you have this kind of outsider perspective that's really important, especially if you've managed communities elsewhere. There's always a, a starting point that you can work off of. You can position it as it's the start of a new quarter or a new year or, you know, the, it's the biannual reset. There's always an opportunity to reposition what you're pulling for metrics and why. So if someone is taking this like refresh approach, whether it's because they are new to the organization or they just need a <laughs> need to change the way that they're looking at how they're measuring and reporting out on community, what timeline do you recommend? Is there uh, a base timeline? I know you said weekly is maybe too much. Um, is quarterly too infrequent or monthly? What's the best best place for people to start? Monthly is definitely the sweet spot. I will say we, we will see fluctuations from month to month that might look concerning month to month. And then quarter to quarter can give you that bigger picture of being able to say everything's actually fine. We saw a dip for one month, but it wasn't concerning. Um, so I, yeah, I would say monthly and then quarterly and annual are great to track as well. I, I think it's also important to keep in mind that there will be regular fluctuations. So in November and December, we always see decreases in metrics because of the holidays. Um, people are just not discussing as much online. They're busier in their personal lives. And when COVID hit, I mean, we saw a huge spike across all our communities in March and April of uh, 2020 that we had never seen before. And having that historical context, when we look back, is going to be significant to understand where those spikes came from. And it wasn't actually really anything that we we necessarily did. It was just the nature of the the situation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Having the the context helps explain things. Um, 
Connor, what what would you say is like the big thing that stood out to you in terms of discussions at at your table? I, I think the the concern over COVID, other than the metrics, you know, was was the biggest thing because to me, we, you know, Sarah and I kind of tried to drive those conversations together. You know, like how how are you reading the changes in your community from the effects of COVID? What are you going to do with that information now? But to me, the COVID pivot was such an we needed to talk about it it was the elephant and gorilla in the room at the same time uh and and i really i I thought that it was um necessary to get some the the, because we had such an array of experience i wanted to know how each different community manager responded to covid and it because in the end a community manager is a problem solver and and that's what i think we wanted to discuss the most is, is how are you solving the last year's big problem or addressing it? Cause no one's going to solve it. Uh, and, and that is what are your strategies for uh, almost like a come to Jesus moment? Like, like, Oh man, COVID's happening. We can't meet in person anymore. You know, we can't do this. How is our business model going to change and then adapting to that? That was a very interesting and interesting and lively discussion. I thought. Yeah. Any interesting stories stand out to you in terms of how folks approached uh, the the shift <laughs> with their community strategy? There was, there was one client that, that relied solely or not solely, a large part of their revenue came from in-person classes. Uh, and they were like, oh, no, uh, we can't meet in person anymore. We can't grow our association anymore. What are we going to do? And then they discovered oh, wow, uh, Zoom classes and other classes and, you know, virtual meetings allow us to meet on a much larger scale. And and so they were seeing actually that, you know, their activity on the community had increased, their attendance had increased because people don't have to choose between, you know, going to a movie at seven and going to, you know, waiting, going to your webinar at seven. They have to choose between pretty much nothing else and then go to your webinar. Um, so the the market was there and was and was perfect and almost like red hot for, for them to strike on that idea of, okay, well, we can't be in person anymore. We're going to go virtual. And in monetizing that was, it was a very impressive kind of uh, pathway to hear about. Sarah or Beth, any similar conversations come up in your group? Not really in mine. I mean, we, um, ours was very focused on specific, I think, scenarios that the group had um, run into. Um, so that didn't really come up a lot. I am curious though, because um, not to hijack anything, but Sarah um, had mentioned that um, uh talking about um, December in particular being a bad time. Um, had, did anyone talk about the summer necessarily being a bad time? Or has it come up in your experience with other organizations that you've worked with? No, but I will say this. I was, I was a teacher for seven years um, and uh, we don't talk to each other over the summer. Like there, there, of course, there are those that do. There, there are a lot of, there are a lot of those who are just like, they're going to continue do continuous learning. They're going to do cohorts together. They're going to go, to, you know, but teacher teaching associations. There's a reason why. So like I'm, I'm on two or three education based accounts right now that are in the launch process and they're all in the launch process during the summer, because now is not the time when they're going to be using a lot of their or, or their, their community is going to be utilized. They all want an August and early September launch because they want it to coincide with uh, teaching. And then there's, you know, that to me, that's the uh, an interesting professional correlation, because I'm sure there are a bunch of other ones out there that are seasonal like that. 
Yeah, I was going to say an educational association that I'm working with as well as dealing with that. Um, it's also tough because they've we haven't seen maybe quite the engagement levels that we've wanted to. They launched in March and um, they just have, have really felt like their members are so busy right now that there's no time to engage. However, with the summer coming up where we know it's going to be slow as well, we're really pushing for some creative ways to engage their members over the summer that will be low lift. So that come September, uh, when they do go back to school, we already have at least uh, an active community to build off of rather than a community that's been alive for six months, but really hasn't had a lot of engagement. How do you, and how do you manage the expectations when you've got a group like that that just might get a little disheartened? I honestly... It's been the opposite. I think they're managing my expectations. <laughs> like I, every every month when we uh, when we look at the metrics, I've said to them, you know, we're not we're not quite seeing as much as we thought we would, and they're like totally what we expected. But to answer your question, I think for other clients who maybe get disheartened, we we talk specifically about well, why did you expect this number to be higher, or well, you know, what actions are you taking to promote the community if you're not seeing as many new members come in. Is it being promoted in newsletters or on social media or um, in like any events that you're doing? So I think that if you have a client that is discouraged, you can talk to them more specifically about what they're doing outside the community that to, to kind of help um, maybe hamper their expectations and help make them realize like th- this is kind of what it is, but you know your members better than we do. And so we do expect you to be able to provide a little bit of context around what's happening and why. That's so interesting. One other thing that you just said a few minutes ago, which I wanted to to touch on is some of those ideas that you said you share or have people um, implement in their communities, the low lift engagement ideas. What are some examples of those things? We're, we're working on setting up kind of a summer contest. So each week of the summer, we will ask you to come in the community and do one small thing, whether that's upload a profile photo or write a discussion post or join one of our other special interest group communities on the site. That's what we're beginning to develop now. Additionally, this, this association happens to have their um, kind of annual conference over the summer. So we're building a conference community around that. Between those two initiatives, I think we're not going to worry too much about doing big summer things. Rather, we're going to start planning for the fall and what initiatives we want to begin then. Yeah, it's so interesting to, to think about, you know, obviously COVID had a huge impact on community engagement throughout the pandemic, the time of the pandemic. And then going forward, you know, there's just those normal fluctuations, holidays, different changes in different industries or things that are happening that can all have impacts on those, those metrics and looking back at things. But this has been really cool to hear some of the topics that people were talking about. Um, any final parting thoughts on, um, <laughs> on the roundtables or takeaways that you think people are going to, you know, look at as they go back to their organizations and their communities? I think one thought that I had was it it was a really cool event. It gave the people, it gave everybody the opportunity to talk about issues they were facing with other community managers where, because they're the only community manager at their organization. And I don't mean this to be a self promo at all, but I do think that joining hug and posting in hug is a great way to get that kind of feedback year round. 
I know that sometimes that can feel like overkill, right? Like you manage a community, you don't want to also post in a community or participate. But really, we see a ton of benefit come from that, especially when you can ask people um, regularly instead of just once a year at an event like this. We always like to talk about it on the MA side, just not to give more of a plug to hug, but about it being kind of like the community for people who use the same software you do. Because if you go on another community and you're asking, you know, how do you handle this or how do you do that? You might get people saying, oh, well, we use this software for that or we use that software for that. But when you ask on Hug, you're getting the people who are using the same equipment, same software. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Before we sign off, I have to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, of course, um, because this is the member engagement show. What is your favorite engagement tactic? Connor, we'll start with you. Um, I like the the badge and uh, ribbon gamification pathing. Um, just like creating both the serious and fun aspects of it, like a mentor badge or something like that. But also like you're an answered question, uh, unanswered thread questions, rock star, you know, like stuff like that. It's just giving them the distinction in the community that wants them to keep engaging. Yeah. Keep them motivated. Beth, how about you? I am a big fan of the tried and true question. What's your goal this week? Um, it is different every week. Uh, it can really draw other people in to help with thoughts on how to get there or how they've handled that kind of goal. Um, and it sometimes delves into the personal side of the community members' lives a little bit, which sort of strengthens the community itself as people sort of get to know each other a little bit better. So I love that question. It's such a fun one. Yeah, that is a good one. Sarah, how about you? Yeah. So when I was thinking about this question, um, what I kept coming back to is put something in the community that's special and unique that your members are not going to get elsewhere. So depending on what's important to your organization, that might be opportunities to participate in journal reviews or an Ask Me Anything event, just something that they really can't get elsewhere to, to force them to come in. <laughs> That's awesome. Make it special. So thank you again for joining us today. Uh, and thank you, everyone out there for listening. If you have any questions for our panelists, definitely add them to our LinkedIn post for this episode or join the conversation over in Hug. And we'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode. Bye.